0: you're listening to payments innovation a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy looking to learn about the latest innovations within Fintech and payments you've come to the right place let's get into the show
1: welcome to another episode of the payments innovation podcast this is your host Lauren Passi from currency cloud and today we have a slightly different setup for you. I'm joined by Alex Reddish from Tribe Payments and also my colleague David Benton from Currency Cloud. Welcome guys. Hi. Hello. Now, um, Dave, for our listeners, could you tell me a little bit about yourself, your role at Currency Cloud, and then I guess the work that you've been doing with Alex and his team um, to date so far?
0: Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Lauren. So, yeah, Dave Benton, uh, director in Currency Cloud's strategic partnership team. Um, I guess I wear a number of hats. Uh, first of all, to look at some of the challenges, complexities that our customers face. And then secondly, you know, how can we best address these by partnering with like-minded organizations? You know, once we've found customer challenges and, and then suitable partners, then, then we look to take those um, solutions to market. I've been at Currency Cloud for a year and a half. I did a previous stint about um, five years ago. Uh, I guess my background has been enterprise IT so I've done stints at um, Accenture and IBM uh, in cloud computing and blockchain um, but I'm slowly slowly becoming a payments geek, I think.
1: Great, thanks Dave. And um, Alex, obviously for our listeners, um, introduce yourself and uh, give us a bit of a whirlwind overview of, of of Tribe Payments too.
2: Yes, hi, I'm Alex Reddish, I'm the Chief Commercial Officer for Tribe Payments. I think, you know, despite despite the name, we feel we're a, you know, we're a technology company that focuses on payments rather than just um, a payments company. Um, We've built sort of modular platform that sits across both sides of the transaction. So uh, rather than just being an issue processor or an acquirer processor, we've kind of tried to bridge that gap and deliver sort of 20 let's call it 21st century technology um, across both sides of the coin. Um, So yeah, thanks very much for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk about some of the things going on in the market today. I think, you know, You'll see from the sort of FinTech 2030 report that Tribe's just released that there's there's a, a great evolution in terms of what we're seeing in the market at the moment. And um just excited to be part of it, I think.
1: Well it's really great to have you um on the show, um and especially at the early stages of the Tribe Payments and Currency Cloud partnerships too. Talking of partnerships, um, what do you think, um Alex, the collaboration has done for the payments ecosystem?
2: I think it's an interesting one I think the 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 less obvious one I think to some extent is that it's kind of allowed us to move competition aside and focus on the end product or result so if you look at the collaborative nature of fintech I think it it far exceeds that of financial services and if you look at the the unbundling of finance if you like the the ability for us to focus on individual niches of product it's meant that everyone's done a much better job at focusing on the 10 percent so we've we've created a much better user experience and end product. And that's meant that ultimately the end
0: user has won. So Alex, look, it's, it's interesting that you talk about, um, I guess, kind of, you know, FinTech from, a, from kind of an end user perspective. I've always been of the view that, um, you know, our role is to give end users choice in the financial services that are available to them. And, and by introducing choice into the market, we drive competition in the market. And as a result of driving competition in the market, we actually see change across the broader financial services industry. Um, I guess tribe like Currency Cloud uh, are somewhat invisible to the end user, but in actual fact, we play a very crucial role in driving innovation. You know, yep. what's your thought on that? I mean, I think the
2: invisibility of payments has only become more prevalent. I think the principle of an embedded payment, the the removal of consumer understanding or need for care of the payment is only going to become more relevant i think you can see many different use cases for that so um i mean the logical one you know based on the fact that there's there's us guys on this and ladies sorry on this um podcast would be banking as a service so the aggregation of te- technical or regulatory product um to allow you know one provider to access multiple facets of services i think that's a great example of visible, invisible payments. But um, I think the other things that come alongside that are things like regulation and the, the drive, invisible payments is much more than just the payment itself. So the need to do additional AML checks, the need to make sure that the payment is secure and safe is um, also things that need to be considered, I think, as, as sort of innovation garners pace. So, I think that you can even look at some real life examples in terms of the consumer experience if you think about um, Whole Foods or Amazon go, whereby you 're actually being um, verified and sort of payment is made ta- made on the based on a hand or or the iris and then you 've got great examples in um, the Toyota Prius, I think it is not i 'm sure there are other cars out there um, in terms of access to pay at pump functionality through voice recognition and I think actually. What you're seeing is the, the drive for consumer convenience becoming more and more important, but ultimately the, the payment just becoming not an irrelevance, but a sort of um, a subliminal outcome of the, of the interaction with the end user.
0: So, so Alex, look, I'm, I'm really interested in what kind of innovation you see that's being driven by the invisible tech stack. And I guess to that point, you know, any examples you see that we could potentially kind of explain to non-payment geeks such as you know yourself and me i think um
2: i think what you'll see is um a lot of work around the interaction with the payment so a great example is you see soft pause or or the increase in contactless limits and i I accept that they've kind of um been born out of necessity and, and sort of distress as opposed to innovation but i think that sort of indicates a, a movement forward in terms of what people will be able to do with that. So we see, I mean, as Tribe, you know, a definite move towards MPOS environment. So removing the terminal, allowing a customer to just transact from their phone. I think even, hopefully, you know, when retail becomes a more normal way of life, I think, you know, people will still be used to shopping on their phone, will still be used to paying in an online and e-commerce environment. So there's going to be a, a move towards blending that in terms of, after to online experience. And I would expect that to be um, one of the key areas for retail. I think the other piece is just the data availability. You know, everyone now expects such a rich data set from every transaction and the, the opportunity to understand their spending habits, their available balance or, or their subscription models. And I think what we've seen over the past couple of years is um, an influx of sort of real-time data. And I'd expect the customer to be able to, um enhance and grow and layer upon that in the coming sort of 6-12 months
1: um i see quite a lot and i speak to quite a lot of fintech startups in the space and a lot of them are talking and not just in payments actually kind of throughout um wealth tech or even like fin data how do you what other partnerships um are tribe currently working on with regards to i don't know you might not be working on this, but it's just something that I've seen as a trend in terms of a lot of companies now embedding like a rewards program. As like you say, they're trying to kind of encompass this partnership, and, and there's such a high expectation to have a, a, a kind of a feature and product-rich solution. Yeah. Um, even things like you know paying for goods via QR codes. You know, what other partnerships do you see either currently happening with Tribe or in the future?
2: I think if I talk about where I would like Tribe to be in three to five years I, I see it as a data business as opposed to a payments business and i think the evolution of our business will be based on that and the partnerships that we choose to sort of engage in will be predicated on a move towards giving more real-time value whether that be through data or, or other means historically tribe has been very insular in its partnerships, so this is one of our, our very few um, sort of external facing partnerships so we haven't done it too much externally, but what I would say is that we have um, a luxury of, of sort of a modular architecture, which means that we can break down those different facets of the transaction ourselves. So whether that be our payment application in the point of sale, or whether that be the um, transaction notification or issuing services, or in fact the merchant onboarding and our acquiring services, we have the ability to break that down into mult- multitudes of Lego blocks. And actually that means that we're able to deliver that sort of data in-house.
0: And Alex, so, um, you know, I guess we're, we're somewhat removed from the end customer, as in we, we sit behind the brand, so to speak. I'm interested in, when you look at innovation, do you put yourself in the end user shoes or do you look to get innovation or, or try to drive innovation directly with your customers? I think, I, I'm not sure it's sort of relative of
2: the, the wider industry, but Tribe, makes a conscious effort to put itself in the end user's shoes. I think, you know, even if you look at the tone of voice on our website or the way in which we talk about our products, it's designed to be consumer facing, predominantly because if our partners don't succeed, then the end consumer doesn't succeed. And if we can inherently consider what the end result needs to be, we ultimately build a better product. So I'm not saying that you know, there, there are some great products in this market. I'm not saying that um, we're right, but it's definitely the the approach that we're going to continue to take.
1: Alex, good question on that. What would you say is, I guess, driving um, the the innovation? Is it is it customer demand that that's kind of pushing that forward, or
2: I think I think the table stakes gets higher and higher. So what we as a collective have to build just to be considered as part of the equation. You know, building a payments processor these days has meant that the the breadth of product we had to build just to be considered part of the conversation was much greater than you would have done a few years ago. Um, but I think the innovation is ultimately driven through this unbundling and through the the opportunity to, to better ourselves. I think mean, FinTech's very good at establishing where it could be better. And that sort of laser focus on individual product has meant that we've been able to do that in a more succinct and quicker fashion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, Bendon, from your side, where you sit on the partnerships team at Currency Cloud, and you're talking to a lot of the different vendors out there from kind of start to finish um, of, I guess, the, the customer life cycle, what's your view on what's driving that innovation? Do you see it being more customer demand or do you think it's more, you know, financial services are being forced to innovate?
0: Yeah, it's, it, I guess it's interesting. So I think from a, from a partner perspective, um, I, I guess our primary focus is, is our existing customer base. So, so where we see challenges or complexity that our existing customers face, we obviously look to try and address these, but we recognize that um, addressing these on our own is, is, is potentially either going to take too long or is going to cost too much money. So we look to form partnerships with you know, like-minded organizations who've got a common goal or a common customer challenge to address. Now, um, if we can serve that to our existing customer estate, then obviously we recognise there's demand. But then we look to try and take that within the new customers that we, we work with. And, and I think that's something myself and Alex have been doing um, a lot of work around with the, the card effects proposition. You know, we recognise it's a challenge within our customer estate. We, we join forces to address that and then, and then we look to take it elsewhere outside of the market. But again, like Alex, you know, I think we always try and boil it down from an end user perspective because we know that our our customers are only successful if their customers adopt and consume their services. So I think you you absolutely need to put yourself in the in the in the shoes of the end user, so to speak. And I think that's a, a quite
2: an important point in the terms of the context of our partnership is that whilst we've initially focused on a facet of our relationship, the ability to evolve that product offering based on our partners needs and the suites of products that we have collectively, I think means that, as we sort of said at the beginning, this is kind of just the start of our partnership. And actually having the same attitude and the same desired outcome probably means we can do some quite cool things.
0: Yeah, I think, the, I think the old view to addressing a problem was, you know, you you either buy an organization or you either buy some technology to address that customer pain or you, or you build that te- technology yourself um, you know, there's pros and cons with both of those, but actually I think the happy medium uh, for ourselves and Tribe is, is, is a partnership approach. Uh, you know, two best of breed organisations addressing a similar or the same customer problem, um, bringing massive advantages to that end customer, primary speed to market. But actually, you know, we take away the complexity and challenges away from that customer by, by addressing those challenges ourselves and then be able to give, in our solution, or give in a prepackaged solution to the end customer
1: and guys looking externally to i guess the the partnership between tribe and currency cloud what other innovation do you see happening within um financial services that you are both quite excited about
2: um i think the real use of machine learning not the sort of let's put it on a slide and bolster evaluation sort of machine learning but actually proper use of data analytics i think that's going to be a a really interesting evolution and I think that probably leads us to a more realistic use case for the internet of things and the ability for my fridge to tell me I'm eating too much or too little or whatever that may be. Um, so I think I think it's relatively data-centric but I think actually we're now starting to build the the algorithms and the, the, the proper understanding of our consumer needs that allows us to be a bit more personalized and it's
0: probably personalization that wins. Cool. And I think, I think from my perspective, you know, I always think innovation is, is initially driven within the kind of consumer space. And I think, you know, you then start to see that innovation filtrate down through, you know, I guess the kind of, you know, the, the corporate uh, end of the market. And I think, you know, one area that I'm particularly interested in is, I guess, embedded finance and, you know, the ability to plug payments and payment processing into back end corporate legacy systems, things such as kind of SAP uh, and Oracle and things like that, um, purely because I, I'd almost say like the gamification of kind of payments, obviously it starts from a consumer perspective, but it's naturally going to evolve into that corporate space. And, and you see massive inefficiencies in, in in payments, whether that be domestic, cross-border, that I think could be addressed through, you know, some of the embedded finance capabilities that, you know, currency, cloud and, and tribe are looking to address.
2: Yeah, so I, th- I think the other interesting consideration is um, how digitally savvy the user base is now. So we're in our third generation of digital natives. I think something interesting is, you know, in the next sort of five, ten years, the the user base that we're talking to are more likely to have had their pocket money put on an app than they are in a, in a piggy bank. And I think that sort of focus on that level of innovation and expectation of digital service will be um, the other thing we all need to consider as a sort of future innovative need
1: Alex I want to pick up on something that you just said a moment ago around um what's kind of happening within the financial services around innovation and you mentioned kind of AI and driving the behaviors of of consumers I mean for everyone at the minute that's you know kind of stuck and not able to go out everyone's kind of consuming Netflix I you know have you watched the social dilemma recently
2: I have I've have seen it it's on my list of things to do I'm being a uh, I've been forced to watch the last few series of suits, I'm afraid.
1: Ah, okay. Well, it, it kind of talks to the point around kind of AI and how it's being used to kind of, I guess, drive, you know, consumers' behavior, whether that be on social media or what you just do day to day. So I was just interested to get your thoughts on, you know, get your thoughts on that just as a general topic, really.
2: I think it's I think it's dangerous to some extent because that herd mentality can be very easily created. I mean, I think the the historic aren't Argument would be Cambridge Analytica and some of the voting influencing that you've seen come out through the years. I, I think if not used correctly, it can be a very dangerous tool. But I think um, I think it's somewhat up to the industry to educate and regulate to ensure that um, people understand that what is a targeted ad on Facebook might not be a personalised ad. It might just be a generic message that someone wants you to see, and actually. That probably is where we are not as good as we could be in terms of educating the unaware of what the potential downfalls or pitfalls of of innovation could be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, And I think it's exciting. I think I completely agree with that. And I think that there can be some great stuff that can come out of this as well. Um, you know, around things like, you know, financial inclusion, making people aware, education as to how to use their money. But like you say, at something that at the moment that is unregulated, it it can be dangerous, but if used in the right way, it can be great.
2: Yeah, I actually think that Tribe should become a regulated business, not in the sense that it takes on a licence, but I think um, payments technology is something that has been relatively ignored by the regulator historically. And if you look at some of the reliance on third-party processors, on on the ability for tribe to provide infrastructure to those in need there's no reason why tribes shouldn't be um, beholden to higher standards than gdpr or, or or something like that you know why should it only be the regulated entity that bears the risk of fine for not performing properly
0: you're almost part of the critical national infrastructure if you know what i mean
2: Completely, but completely. And I think, I think I've, you know, we've built our business on the basis that we expect it to happen in the next three to five. I think the PRA are now looking at it a bit closer. We would be naive to build a payments business that um, didn't consider its exposure to
0: regulatory liability, I think. Yeah, and you see you've got that challenge of being, you know, reliable and consistent and, um, you know, something that yeah. an organisation can build their business on top of, but you've also got the dilemma of being innovative and quick to market.
2: And that, I think that, um, you know, if I go back to my one of my first sales decks at Tribe, it was always about bridging that gap between innovation and resiliency. And that modularity, we believe, allows us to do so. But I think the interesting thing that comes from regulation and ultimately comes from scaling your business to putting people live rather than selling, a, to use my earlier example, a, a number of slides with some buzzwords on it. I think the, um, the process and the procedure, the operational consideration is something that you have to learn very quickly. You know, Actually, it's not about wh- whether you will have an outage, it's about how you remediate, how you automatically diagnose. And, and I think these are things, to some extent where fintech is now in terms of 2.0 and learning that, we've had the luxury of seeing some very great processors come and build some market share, and we can kind of learn from their successes and their mistakes.
0: So I'm just interested, slight change of subject, but when you're speaking to your um, prospects, how many of them look to potentially build a payments processing capability themselves versus, say, user services such as Tribe, and and what are the, some of the reasons that you'd you'd say why you know it's better to to outtask or outsource that service? I think there's there's it's very
2: difficult to build a business case to build a payments processor because of the connectivity costs of the various schemes. You know, tribe was the first to part with UnionPay in Europe, and that was no insignificant sum. Um, I think so, becoming a switch is not overly attractive as an economic model. I think the, what you are seeing is those owning some midware or on, on that banking as a service we talked to earlier, that midware becoming more uh, commonplace. And therefore, actually, what they want is access to real time data feeds. So, I would suggest 70 to 80% of our issuing clients own their financial authorization. You know what they actually want to do is they want Tribe to manage the rules, they want Tribe to manage the CBV checks, but actually they want to own the balance because they've got um, access to multiple accounts with Currency Cloud that allow them to settle in the US dollar, or they want to use Spark to go and settle in JPY, whatever that may be. Tribe doesn't need to be involved in the the glamorous bit; it needs to make sure that it it works.
0: You've talked a little bit about um, some of the things we could do with the partnership, but. I'm interested more broadly what tribe look for in a, in a partnership when you're when you're when you're speaking to potential partners i think the the thing we're trying
2: to do at the moment is foster innovation it's you know we can't hide behind our age and actually we would be naive not to ignore the great ideas of some of the businesses that want to work with us so what we're trying to do is find those partners that make our business better and mutually we collectively i should say we then a better product for the end user so i think we're that steve jobs adage of you hire people that are smarter than you we're just trying to partner with people that are smarter than i'm going to say me because it would be disrespectful
0: to say the rest of the business i suppose interesting and and with any particular kind of focus with regards to kind of gaps you see in the market (laughs) i
2: I think what where tribe has proven to be successful is where businesses don't care about the IBM argument of who's on your slide as to who you've worked with over the last 10 years. I think what Tribe has been able to do is focus on businesses that care about value of technology and the API stack that comes with it as opposed to, yeah, you know, your enterprise level logos on a a deck. But I think we have seen success in terms of crypto, in terms of fiat crypto monetization, in terms of giving the customer choice there. Uh, real-time payments you know i don't think that's necessarily a new market but that aggregation that processor level of multiple partners you know we're doing some work with you guys around the fx piece i think i don't think tribe has as yet focused in on um one particular area or niche i, I think it's too young to do so if i'm honest but i would expect to see that in sort of 12 18 months where it starts to realize its value you know i think um I'm trying to buy a house at the moment and I can't tell you how frustrating the mortgage process is. And For a fixed price transaction, how they can take 12 months or whatever that number is, is beyond me. You know, so I definitely think there's still areas of of opportunity. I think um, leasing, lending, like lending is very underserved. I I think there's lots of things to still be done, but I think we would miss out on too many opportunities if we, if we specialize too early.
1: Uh, thank you, Alex, and also Dave um, for joining us today. Um, Alex, for those um, who would like to find out more, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you?
2: I'm going to say Twitter at TriPayments.
1: Great, okay. Well, thanks again for joining. Some really great insights, and um, we look forward to um, hearing more about the Tribe Payments and Currency Cloud partnership moving forward.
2: Thanks very much for having me.